Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today's guest is a central defender who started at Everton, went to the National League and rose to the heights of the Scottish Premiership and currently forms part of AFC Wimbledon's first choice defensive partnership. Welcome to the show, Ben Hennigan. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Thank you very much. I'm very good. How are you? Getting by. It's lockdown, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. It feels like every interview is like, how are you? It's like, eh, in the house. <laughs> yeah, same answers. <laughs> Nothing else, nothing new. <laughs> Not really, mate. Um, I'll start off with the, the current stuff, obviously. We're going to go through your career, but you've not long since joined AFC Wimbledon. Um, how have you found the season so far since you've joined? Yeah, it's kind of been up and down for myself, really. Um, I came in after not having a pre-season. So it was always going to be... I class myself as a fit lad anyway, but it's always going to be a struggle on the body, not having the certain training. And unfortunately, I got an injury on Boxing Day. So I was out for six, seven weeks, which obviously was frustrating on my part. Um, but now I'm back back going now, so everything's good. Like, just want to play every game I can. Is it a kind of a benefit when you've been at that long playing Tuesday, Saturday, whereas some of the players who've maybe not stopped playing apart from that break we had in lockdown are probably knackered by this point? Yes, obviously, Saturday, Tuesdays, you can't its benefits and most players would probably prefer it, to be honest. Um, just get your head down, games, recover, games, recover. And that's what it has been. And I think it is till the second to last week of the season now, where we think that's the only week we get a break. Yeah. So, yeah, the full squad's getting used. Um, everyone's just got to be on it, really, ready for the ready to get the name on that team sheet, get out there, do the business. No time to think about it necessarily, is there? No, um, before, obviously, you touched on it before, really, but I think it was eight or nine games because of COVID, going into being a free agent and stuff like that. Your contract running out, Blackpool season being cut short, just like, you know, everyone in, in League One. So yeah. how was the period of your career where you had like eight or nine months without a first-team game, pretty much? How was that? Tough. Very tough. Because, um, to be honest, wherever I've been, it's just been the games have been coming thick and fast. Um Apart from my, my year at Sheffield where I didn't get much playing time, which was obviously frustrating. But apart from that, I have normally been playing week in, week out. So just adapting to that. And then but everyone was in the same boat um, until then final couple of months where it was the basically waiting for whichever club to come in and say, listen, we're, we're going to take yeah, Because really, all I wanted to do was play football. <laughs> like, you miss it for that long. Um, just keeping fit at home was becomes repetitive, like all the road running and that. And I, I ended up buying a, a little gym from a garage, just to, you know, different types of fitness and that, which I suppose benefited me in the long run. Um, but yeah, it was just tough, um, just like I said, which it has been for everyone in any line of work, really. It's just the repetitive, repetitiveness of it. And... Um, yeah, eventually I got the um, the call from Motherwell. Uh, not Motherwell. <laughs> Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the passer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got the call from Wimbledon and I was just happy to come down here, get stuck into training and get in that team. How scary of a time was that, during? I mean, the thing is, it's scary anyway being a free agent in a COVID time. But then you had, like, you predominantly played in League One, so I assume there was more than just Wimbledon that were chasing you at the time. But then you had the salary cap, which is now gone. 
which would have hindered a lot of players. Um, how scary was the uncertainty around you being out of contract and COVID happening and the salary cap and all that kind of stuff together? Yeah, it was a tricky one, really, because obviously just being out of contract in general is it's a horrible feeling. Um, but times took over where they have that choice, really. Um, but yeah, and then obviously the salary cap comes in and everything. But at the time, it's just literally wanting to get a club and just be playing football, like having the field going in every day, doing your training, being around the lads, doing your gym work, everything like that, and then shaping up for a game. So that was my main worry of missing the football. And as days went by and you see more people sign for clubs, you're like, All right, tomorrow it's got, to, it's got to come. I've got to come. And then a week goes by and right, the, the panic just set in because football's all I've ever known. So to not be doing it and seeing all your mates playing, um, old teammates, old teams all, playing scores coming in like being sat there on a Saturday watching the scores like it was just surreal it was just weird because normally you're out there so yeah it was different and it was tough Was there any clubs that came in for you during that period before Wimbledon obviously signed you up? Yeah there was there was a few to be honest but then obviously the financial situation hit there's a few clubs telling me to basically get my car set off get to the club and then it didn't work out um got the call on the way or call before saying right we'll delay it or listen we can't do it it's because of financial terms so everything played a factor really but eventually I got the Wimbledon shout and I was I was on my way down and I got there on a record time I think just to get it done so, <laughs> just flew down yeah yeah got down there <laughs> quick so yeah like then and, and I was buzzing then um, just to, like I said just to be in around the training and get back with the ball and just, eating, just enjoying it I think a lot of us have realised during like the COVID times that almost football is as great as the game is. Don't get me wrong; like I've been lucky enough that I've seen twenty-ish games behind closed doors because of my role and my job. Um, but it still feels a bit weird because I can't actually speak to anyone. I've got another journalist next to me who's I don't know. And I suppose when you're a free agent, you haven't got the camaraderie. And a lot of players who've retired speak about, "Oh, I miss the lads just being in the dressing room." Is that a big part of like missing football apart from like the actual football itself? Yeah. Um, a lot of lads always talk about that as like when the time comes to retire. Like that will be one of the biggest parts missing going to like missing going into that dressing room every day just for the chats, the banter and stuff. It's just you can't actually beat it. Um and the togetherness of groups, because I I'd be honest, to be fair, I've been very lucky, like, whichever club I've been at, it's been, like, a tight-knit group. Yeah. There's obviously some teams will have clicks and stuff, but I have been in very good groups, so, yeah, I'm grateful for that, really. Um, lads always get around each other, whether you're in the highs or lows, so, yeah, it's been really good. And, obviously, you signed under Glenn Hodges, guest on this podcast at one point. That didn't work out um, towards the end for you, so he went fairly fast, but then... Mark Robinson's came in, who obviously knows the club. He knows Wimbledon really well. What has he brought to the club since he's taken over as manager? Yeah, so first of all, obviously, I worked with Glenn when I was at um, Stoke 23, so obviously knew about him. He gave me the call to come down, which I was ready to do. It was, it was down there straight away, like I said. Um, but for some reason, um, results just went against us. And I think, like, if you look at most teams, they all have that sticky patch where... Mm -hmm a few weeks or even a month or so goes by and it's just not gelling, something's not working. And I think with Wimbledon, we are a very young side in that factor. So a lot of the lads will never have been through that. So it was hard to take, like, you lose a 
couple of games on the bounce and people are going the shell and it's almost like a confidence and momentum thing when you you know once you get that first win and you you build on so it's happened in football where obviously the manager takes the the punishment really yeah um so obviously Robbo has come in he's been there all along like but he's come in and he's put like a different touch on it um obviously every manager has a different style of play uh, or different boundaries different guidelines whatever so and we've got more like fundamentals where it's going for us at the minute like I think on a, pos- a possession basis we are gaining and having more possession in the game so I think for the personnel that is suiting us more so yeah it's kind of had like a positive impact um, so just obviously need to take his advice and build and build as each game goes on really but like I said the game's coming thick and fast so ideally when he's getting points on the board yeah absolutely um, so rewinding all the way back to your, your childhood obviously we spoke of camera you were born in Manchester you might not have been a, what, of either here but were you a blue or were you a red or were you something different the red you were red oh, yeah it's been through don't know if I can let you off with that actually, but we'll move on. Um, so, who was your first footballing hero then? Was it a centre half or was it a centre forward? I think my first one was David Beckham. Yeah, I'll take that. That's fine. That, yeah, I think the university majority liked. Went, majority yeah. went for that, didn't they? But then, as time went on, obviously, and I got into my position and whatever I was looking at, like your Rio Ferdinand, Vidic. So, I was more concentrated on. My um, position. Did you have the curtains like David Beckham when you were a kid? No, no, I didn't, I, I didn't manage them once. I did, but I've changed, no. as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, you moved on and you went to, I think you spent seven years at the Ever- Everton Academy. Um, yeah. who, who were the managers and coaches that you were coming through at that time? I know it might have changed, but who were the main ones? Also, we've had Kevin Sheedy as my yeah. team coach. Obviously, great insight on the game. Um, Duncan Ferguson actually come towards the end. Oh. And then Alan, Alan Studs was the reserve manager. So, obviously, people who've been in the game and at the top level, really. So, it was good to have people like that coaching and like learning off them, learning just little habits. So, that was obviously the insight was brilliant. With Duncan Ferguson, I think it's fair to say, although his accent might not sound that scousy, he's Everton through and through. Um, uh, you see him now and he's, he's just, he's a great person to watch. He's someone I grew up with um, and obviously living in Glasgow, obviously I knew about him for a long time. Um, but what was he like as a coach? Has he got a lot more to him than just passion and kind of fist punching then? Oh, of course, yeah. It'd be a little detail really, to be honest. Like even just for a defender, like he used to always say to me, mate, you don't let the striker turn. Obviously being at a young age, like just get right up to him. That's the worst thing to play against when you're an attacker. So just he'd give you a little knowledge, um, bits of information and stuff as did most of the coaches so it was great it was a great place to grow up playing your football I remember um, the academy director Ray Hall sat us down once and was like don't take this for granted these facilities and everything like that do not take it for granted because when unfortunately if the time comes where it ends it, it doesn't get better than this so yeah. and honestly that's always stuck in my head I remember being sat down on the grass when he told us like us Obviously, I've been to some clubs and been on trials and stuff where obviously the facilities are nothing like Finch Farm. So. As it was, you you moved on to to Stoke and you were regular in the under-23s. 
never managed to break through, but I think a lot of that might have had to do with something well, Tony Pulis, I think, would have brought you in. And then Mark Hughes took over, which was, if anyone's a football fan remembers those years, it was vastly different. Um, but how did you find playing at Stoke under both of those managers and trying to break in at the first team squad? So when I joined, it was the start of the under-23 league. So that had literally just started that season, which is, I suppose, if you look at it now, it is an extended youth team. Um, so we had spells where we used to go up in my first year with when Pulis was manager, that's where we used to go up and we were basically like mannequins for the first team where they were practicing set plays, stuff like that. So you'd be looking over your shoulder and you'd be getting clattered by Robert Hoof or Crouch or something. So it was, <laughs> uh, that was an eye opener. Uh, imagine where Robert Hoof, because he uh, didn't take any prisoners, Robert Hoof, did he? Jesus. Uh, that's not even with the young kids. It's from around for fun. So yeah, that was, um, but that's, to be fair, that's the only involvement we got, unfortunately. Yeah. And then the second year with Mark Hughes coming, I think just opportunities were limited because the first team, it was a big squad in itself. So, yeah, the opportunities were limited um, when we had the, obviously, on the under-23 league. So, just done that, really. And then towards the end of that, I went on like a little loan to Droylsden. Mm-hmm. I think I played about five games. And my first game was, I think it was the first win in God knows how long. Like they had, they had a horrendous goal difference. Like it was something stupid, like minus 100 or something like that. So I actually went in and, yeah, we got the win that first game. So that was like <laughs> a little bit of joy. But yeah, I probably remember that. And obviously then Stoke, as it was that they released you, if I remember, Stoke were going through like a period where they were trying to evolve, I think. And it, obviously it didn't work out. Um, but you moved on to to Chester, who obviously were in the, the National League. Now, I spoke to a few players in Scotland who dropped down to like Division 3 um, when they've left Rangers and Celtic and so on and so forth. And a few players that have left Premier League clubs and dropped down to um, maybe League 1, League 2, National League. But how important was the experience of going to Chester and, and getting just regular first-team football, even though if it was nationally, just consistently playing in a division that maybe you didn't want to be there, but just getting the experience? To me, it was everything. It's what I needed um, to excel as a player, to be in the men's game. And I've said it, and every interview I've had, I'll be forever grateful for Chester to give me that opportunity. First proper club. So, yeah, I've always been grateful of that and just they had that belief and trust in me. And basically, I think I went in at half-time on my first game there, I played right-back for a while, which was a bit new to me, if you like. Uh, but eventually broke into that centre-back spot and just made it mine, kept it. I was going to say, you played a lot of right-back. Was it a position that you... I mean, defender's a defender. It's got the same basics, I suppose. But was it a position that you enjoyed? Um, at first, I was, I'll be honest, I was a bit like, I'm not sure about this, because... Obviously, you got them pace of wingers running at you and you're up and down. So, I had to adapt to that of basically having the legs to get up and down. Um, but, yeah, I, I suppose the more I played, the, the more you thrive off it. And I was getting, a, I was chipping in with a few goals as well. So, that was obviously a confidence booster. But my, my position is centre-back. So, once I got in there, I was, I was making sure I weren't losing that shirt. You talked about chipping in with goals there now. Obviously, Chester fans will remember mainly you scoring, a, I think it was a 94th minute winner against Wrexham, was it? Yeah. <laughs> Chester, Wrexham, 
uh, Cardiff, Swansea. It's a really passionate rugby area, but it's also a really passionate football area, clubs like that, um, despite the fact that they might have dropped down in the National League. When you scored a 94th minute derby when I was a, basically a young lad, um, how good was that memory for you? Oh, it was unbelievable. Like, just the, the atmosphere of that game was, was frightening. And they had the bubble as well, so it wasn't like maximum capacity, which was uh-huh. frustrating for the players, but for the police and did all that. But I never knew how big the derby actually was until obviously I was told about it all the week building up, but then just being in the tunnel and hearing the noise, like, yeah, nah, it was unreal. And then obviously to get that goal, the winning goal, that's like, icing on the cake, that, that was brilliant. Yeah, you kind of beat it. Because it's, it's funny people talk about like, you know, the likes of Wrexham and stuff like that. And yeah, there might be National League and, and clubs like that are probably further down than they would want to be. But their fan bases are just as passionate as anything you get in the football league. Like I went to a Tuesday night game, I think, against, uh, I think it was Chester or it was Wrexham when I was living in the Northeast to, and I think it was Gateshead, we were told. And they brought the best, like quite a few thousand up, like a typical football league away day. They really went for it. They really made a day out of it. Ah, the teams are on it in them leagues, like, the loyal supporters, aren't they? Which the players love. Like football without fans is, as we've seen this year, it's just it's just different. Like it's horrible. Like being in the watching the lads, it's just nah, it's not the same. It's not the same. Nah, it's not. It's unfortunately becoming too too normal for my legging, but hopefully we'll break out of that new normal very soon and get yeah. fans back. Hopefully next season we'll, we'll be back. Fingers crossed. Um, as it was, you did really, really well at Chester. It did, you know, as you've said, it did everything that you probably sort of wanted it to do as a professional footballer. And then you were linked elsewhere with clubs in other places. I think those teams in the football league that were looking after you, uh, looking after you as well. Motherwell come along. Um, might be an obvious question, but why Motherwell? Why did you choose them? Just to go up there into the Scottish Prem, like, and you, you got your big games against your Celtic and Rangers, like, I was still young at the time and you want to play at the best level you can play at. Motherwell come in, um, had a meeting with uh, the manager, which was Mark McGee at the time. He basically told me I'm coming in and I'm, I'm there to play. So that was music to my ears. Um, made sure I was ready in pre-season and stuff. Got all the pre-season games under my belt and then I was ready for the season and I thoroughly enjoyed it. There. It's a proper family club, like brilliant. Even like just day to day, when I was there, they'd have like, you know, like old players or the elder generation who would did come in for dinner and they'd feed them and that, which well, that's just Class proper. Like, you can't beat that. That's proper. That that's proper club. They're a really really good club, Motherwell. I think. Um, like I was saying, you're off air. There's a few people that obviously I have no real connection with Motherwell, but I did a few interviews with players and they really like talk to the podcast and they listen to it and share it and. Just a fantastic bunch of lads, fantastic bunch of lasses that listen to it. Um, I've been to a few Motherwell games in my time just for living quite close to it. But you mentioned before about the community element of it. They're really, really good at that, aren't they? The community side of things. Yeah, there's a lot of work goes into it and a lot of the players buy into that because the club looks after the players' families as well when they come up, which are really good. It's a really good factor of it. and probably sways a lot of players to come up as well because that's what you want as a player. You want your family to be looked after. Because it is them who are moving their lives as well. If they yeah. have to move out of certain parts of the world, so yeah, it's really good on that side of things. Really with, with the Scottish Premiership, you said before, like I wanted to go see the Scottish Premiership. Now, 
have a lot of friends that live in the, in, in England and they'll, they'll watch their English teams and talk about the English leagues and I get it. But like for me, as much as I'm a Sunderland fan, the Scottish Premiership is just like a world of wonder for all the the good and bad reasons that come with it. I just love Scottish football, but um, as a lad from Manchester coming up to Motherwell, seeing stuff like, you know, Scottish football, the stuff that goes on in it, how much of an experience was that? Could you replicate it anywhere else, do you think? Yeah, it was a massive experience. Like I said, with the big games, the Celtic Rangers, just the playing them, I was like 55,000 people. I, I'd gone from the National League where on average, I think at the time, we was getting around 3,000. So to have that big jump, that was brilliant and you thrive off them games you look forward to it I'm not saying we got the best results when we played them but <laughs> it was just brilliant to be a part of it and experience it and that's where everyone wants to get to in, in the careers I, if you've not got that desire or hunger to get there it's not right you played with uh, Keith Lasley obviously who's been a, a guest in this podcast as well yeah. uh, housewife's favourite um, allegedly, housewife's <laughs> favourite. But um, looking through the squad, you mentioned before maybe the results didn't go perfect. And I don't think they, they did that season. You personally did well for yourself, but I think the team as a whole finished ninth. Um, but when you look through the squad, they didn't play regularly at that point. But Alan Campbell, Davy Turnbull, Jake Hasty were all part of the squad and were getting appearances here and there, coming through the youth setup. We're really seeing now, over the past couple of seasons, maybe not this season, but the past couple of seasons, how good those young players coming through are and what Motherwell are producing as, a, as talent. Um, from your memory, how good is the youth setup at Motherwell and, and which players do you remember sort of sticking out to you? Basically, the players you just said there, um, Barry Maguire as well. He's yeah, of course. He's in the team. Um, yeah, it's just a good, um, a good path to getting into the first team at that club because everyone's involved in the training and stuff. So you get to see them day in, day out. And the lads have done really well at Turnbull. Like, Got his move to Celtic, like probably a dream move, isn't it? So it's fair play to him. He he's done really well. Great player. Alan Campbell now, I think he's got over 150 appearances for the club. So yeah, he's played loads, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it shows it can be done. And if you've got the work effort, the mentality, you, you'll get there. You just gotta take that opportunity. Touch before and about the community and stuff like that, and how a player likes that. And that kind of, you think my family's getting looked after. But like as a young player coming through then, I suppose that's even even more of a reason to join because you think actually they care about the young players as much as the first team players. I'm, I'm trekked here, like, you know, I've got the best possible chance of achieving first team football. Does that sound like Motherwell to you as a club? Yeah, because you know you're going to be respected straight away, mm-hmm. which you don't get that at every club. Um, and the fans buy into that process of bringing the youth through and they will support them. And they'll get behind them. Um, obviously, you can play in games and your, your own fans can get on your back because they expect standards, which I think that, that should be. That's right. It's a given. Like Standards should always be high, whether you're performing badly on the day, that you've got to be working hard no matter what. So, But I, like I said, I've, the clubs I've been at, I've had a great dressing room, um, great set of large management teams and that. And then the fans have always been great. So, And I've had, luckily, I've, with most clubs, I have had that bond with the fans where they do bite you and you respect them. And like I said, the community side, you do do a bit for them and they back you on a match day. So, all right, brilliant. Talking about dressing rooms, every Motherwell or former Motherwell player I've had on this, they've always had a story. So I figured I might as well ask. Um, 
some lively characters in that dressing room, but what was your your funniest memory from your time at Motherwell? Like I said, we had a, a good set of lads, a good group of jokers. Um, funniest memory? Who's the funniest person? Because I've heard some stories about Ryan Bowman. All oh, right, Ryan Bowman's up there. Yeah, he's, um, he's a bit dopey as well. It's, I think that's made him a bit funnier. I, obviously, he's flying now as well, by the way, Exeter. Really well scoring goals. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was, <laughs> he was quite funny, to be honest. Lee Lucas, another funny lad, Welsh lad. Yeah. They understand a lot what he said, but it was <laughs> really, really funny. Oh, yeah, we had a good dressing room, really. Um, we had Lionel Ainsworth. He had his little one-liners as well up there, definitely. Do Scottish dressing rooms feel different to English dressing rooms in that sense? Is the back banner a bit different? Um, no, I wouldn't say so, to be honest. Um, not as much as a much, like... You're all in there for the same reasons, and then, yeah, everyone's. You can have your um, your lively players, your quiet ones, people who get involved in bantering people's gear or cars or whatever, and then you've got some who you wouldn't mess with. So it's not yeah. like a different array of characters, yeah. With um, Motherwell, I've got obviously one of my best mates is a, a Motherwell fan and I asked memories of yourself and the first thing he said, and I've literally just wrote down what he said here, please definitely ask him about the celebration at the Aki's game at the Aki Stadium on the 13th of May, which is my birthday. Malty scored in a 1-0 win and there were some of the wildest celebrations ever. The stand was absolutely packed. Can you ask him about his memories of that day? I remember that. That was brilliant. I remember the ball coming back in, and I knew it was going nowhere near me. But I actually jump and go to head it, and I'm like just a fresh air header. Yeah. I remember everything multi going in, and then obviously the like I said, the stand was full, and everyone was over there. Oh, it was brilliant. That like you can't beat a last minute winner in a derby. You, you can't like perfect. Then like that one, the Wrexham one. That they'll always be up there in the memory bank. Like ah, easy. It's the best way to win a game, isn't it? Like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as a Sunderland fan, I've beaten Newcastle many, many times, but obviously, we had last minute winners, and nothing quite as sweet as that. Um, like, like just that adrenaline, and everything, the rush. Oh, it's brilliant. That's what we're missing, isn't it? It's like if you scored one now, you'd want to be a plastic cardboard cutouts, and fortunately, it doesn't quite work the same. <laughs> uh, not the volume. So you could jump in the crowd and smash one of them, but that's about as far as you get. Um, <laughs> it's kind of an obvious question I'll probably ask, but I do find it interesting. Um, because everyone seems to have a different answer to it. What were the main differences you felt between English football and Scottish football, if any? I think within the Scottish Prem, there is the levels are like vary quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Within obviously the facilities of clubs, and then obviously like I've said it before, like the Celtic and Rangers, obviously the top ones where you couldn't actually put all the teams into one league if you moved it down to England. Yeah. So, I felt, obviously, as a young player, that was good because you're getting different levels and which you're testing yourself at all then. So, you're almost adapting every game. It wasn't, like, the same standard, yeah. if you like. So, I think that's really a good development point for young players. And, obviously, the older ones over there, like, I had the guidance of Stephen McManus next to me. So, he helped me massively. Top guy as well. So... Uh, respectful for that. Like, he really did help me in my, in my career. Because McManus would have been about 35, 34, 35. 
Yeah, I think he would win, yeah. Give it a yeah. take. And obviously he's he's played all over the shop and played in England, I think played with Middlesbrough. Um Middlesbrough, Bristol City. Yes, that's right. Of course you did. Yeah, you're right. Um so what was your experience playing alongside him? Like did that kind of bring you on tenfold in, in that season? Yeah, because you just you want to prove to him that you are good enough to play next to him for one. And then just his like leadership skills and what you do on a pitch, and you just pick up little habits, whether that's yeah. literally squeezing your line up an extra five yards, just what it takes to get to the level he's been up. So that's what you aspire to be. With um, the teams that you've come up against before, there is probably different levels across the board. It seems to split into three, the Scottish leagues, as opposed to splitting into two, like a lot of the leagues do, where you've got the, yeah. the bottom half, top half. Um, but who was the best striker you came up against when you were in Scotland? I would I'd probably say the obvious one of Moussa Dembele, really. Um, Go striker, to be fair. Strong, pacey. And obviously he's gone on to do well for himself, hasn't he? Yeah, he's doing all right. He's not doing too bad, mate. He's doing okay. Um, hopefully Celtic fans aren't listening to this because they'll get a bit irked by that maybe. But nonetheless, I'm a Rangers fan, so it's fine. Um, as it was, you spent like only really a season at Motherwell, essentially, um, yeah. which I suppose is pluses and, and, and minuses in a sense, because Sheffield United come in and at that time, Sheffield United are doing great, really. Um, ideal move. You can understand why you've gone and Motherwell have made money on that. I think it was actually Stephen Robinson that um, ended up making the money on you at that point. Um, but was there a part of you that still probably wanted to stay with Motherwell and kind of enjoy your time there a little longer? Was there like a part of you that kind of thought, oh, maybe I should not go? Well, it was always my my aims to go back to the English and if I could get in the champ, which happened, yeah, was obviously the move I, I really wanted. Um, and Sheffield's a, Sheffield United is a really big club. Um, so when that opportunity came, it was like, right, this is my next step now. But as I've said before, I loved every minute of Motherwell, everything about it. I absolutely loved it. Um, family even loved coming up, so... They still go on to me this day, so oh, miss going up, you know, miss going up to Scotland. It was like a little holiday for them, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah, it was. But I'm not going to say I have any regrets at all, um, because I suppose that's just where your career pans out and you back yourself no matter what. But unfortunately, my time at Sheffield, it, it didn't work out, which was frustrating. I remember Sheffield United when you went there because I think Sunderland were in the same division. Um, and they were yeah. like on a crest of a wave, really, which ended up with them going up into the Premiership the year later and all that kind of stuff that went with it. Um, Chris Wilder has been credited for a lot of, it might sound weird now that at the bottom of the league, but Sheffield United's rise, no matter which way you look at it, they have, even if they get relegated this season, which looks like they will, is a huge rise. And he's done a great job just to get them even in a position to be relegated from the Premiership, is I suppose what I'm trying to say. But um, he seems like a great character. Obviously, it didn't work out for you at Sheffield United, but what was your first meeting like with him? Does he just make you feel like really wanted or is he just a good character you want to play for? Um, well, when I first met him, obviously we'd spoke and you say, and obviously when you're involved in my, my squad, um, work hard and you'll get your opportunity. Um, didn't quite work like that. But when I first went there, the lads were doing, they were doing great. I think they were on back-to-back wins. So, as a player, you know you're not going to go in and just go straight in the team. Like You've got to earn your, your place and that. But I, I do feel like I should have been given an opportunity. 
But at the end of the day, he was the manager. He, he called the shots and unfortunately it didn't work out for me. Um, but that's when I went on to my, my loan move to Blackpool. With um, Sheffield United, it's a bit of a weird one when you really look at it. And I was obviously looking at your time there yesterday. You'd been signed as like a first-team player and then were never really given a chance. It kind of struck me as... Um, there was a player we signed. We signed Matt Kilgallen a few years ago, and he played three games, and that was it. He never really played again until the manager changed. Um, obviously, that still hasn't happened to Sheffield United with with Wilder going, and for obvious reasons. But from the outside looking in, it seemed like a bit of a weird one, almost like you'd been signed and then not given the chance immediately. Was there ever a point where you felt like, "Oh, hang on, this is not going to work out"? And how early was it? Oh yeah, once I think there was a spell where we had. Um... Three games and we conceded a lot of goals. So I thought, right, if, if I'm not getting an opportunity now, it's it's not going to come. So I think we were supposed to, we were playing Villa that weekend, and I, I wasn't in. I was on the bench. Um, so I, just, I suppose then really that's when I definitely knew like it weren't. I wasn't going to get the the crack at it really. Um, so yeah, that's. Obviously, the season come to an end. I've not played. Um, went the one game against Preston in the FA Cup, and yeah, I just knew I, I needed to go out and get games because I thought I thought I'd done another year. Like I, it's, it's tough when you're not playing, especially when you've been wherever you've been. You played every single game, so it was it's hard to adapt to that. If I'm honest. Was there ever a point when you were told why you weren't given a chance, or was it just kind of the unanswered question? Uh, you would ask, like, I'm going to get the opportunity. And it was just like, yeah, keep working hard. What you, what you expect they'd um, come back with. But it just didn't work out. Um, frustrating on my side. But the club has gone on. Obviously, they got in the premiership. They've done brilliant. So frustrating for me. But obviously, I made friends there. And I'm, I'm happy for them to that they achieve what they achieve. Absolutely. You mentioned before, but obviously you moved to, to Blackpool. Now, Blackpool's a... Before COVID, stuff that was happening in Blackpool was crazy when you really think about it. And I went to Blackpool when we played on New Year's Day and it was during when the fans were outside and they were campaigning against the ownership, saying that, you know, they didn't want fans to, to go in the ground and a lot of Blackpool fans didn't. Um, so you moved to Blackpool to play games. You might be used to playing in front of no fans at the minute, but I remember at the time... We managed to take eight thousand fans there because there were so few home fans. Um, what's it like to play in an atmosphere like that, where fans can attend, um, but they don't want to because of the ownership and the protesting outside the ground? Yeah, it was. It was just a weird situation, like from a player's point of view. I think there was like two thousand, maybe okay. three thousand come in, and then obviously when we played Sunderland, like to be have a home game, but. Away support is four times bigger than what you've got. That was surreal. That was really, really weird day. That, um, but obviously, once the the ownership changed hands, um, I think it was Atkinson away when it first got announced that it was all over. So that was electric. Which we won that game. That was brilliant. Like flares and everything, the noise. That was brilliant. And then it was Southend at home when all the fans actually come back there's 14,000 there that day so I'd score from them extreme like 2,000 to 40,000 and I think it was an, 
It was actually Taylor Moore who came on loan the second year. He had scored an own goal for Southend in like the last minute to make it two all. So that was, yeah, it was obviously good that we didn't lose that day, but just to have all the fans back and like I've said on my other um, stories, like the fans there were great with me, um, and I, I really enjoyed it there. Um, just there this weekend actually, which unfortunately I had to miss the game due to precaution because I've just come back from an injury. Mm-hmm. I've basically overloading it so but Rob always like listen I want you on the bench to be with the lads and be a voice and that so it's frustrating to miss that game again because you always want to play against your old club don't you like, of course you yeah what what used to be there whatever so but yeah it's Blackpool was a good club um, and now it's got the ownership and it's got all the well it's got all the fundamentals to be a, a great club and kick on yeah, it seems like they're doing really well. And I think I'm, I'm not saying anything surprising here when I say I'm really pleased that the ownership changed hands from a fan's perspective for their state for their sake. Um they used to take more fans away from home though, didn't they? They didn't like protest the away games, it was just the home games, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, it was just So the away games were better for you. We were willing to give the money to obviously the guy in charge, um, which you can understand. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely understand it. So but no, we got it. The the club got it back to their own ways, and the fans are are happy now. So I suppose that's all that matters in the long long term. So are you more excited for away games because you know you might have like four thousand there as opposed to having two thousand at home in an empty yeah, stadium? You get that support, and obviously when there's less fans there, if you are to mess up or make a bad pass, you hear the abuse. <laughs> so yeah, it's better when it's fuller. Yeah. Definitely. And I think obviously it was a weird thing then. It's not that weird now, but um, did you play under Simon Grayson in the second season? Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, so he brought me in, yeah. He brought me back to the club. Um, That's right. On your second loan spell, is, was that correct? Is it your second loan spell? Yeah, that's the yeah, second loan spell. There's been... Um, Simon Grayson's had that unlucky part of his managerial career when he said a Netflix season document him and he didn't come across in the best of lights. But obviously when you're editing a documentary, sometimes that does happen. What was your experience of playing under him? Did you quite enjoy your time under Simon Grayson? Well, yeah, he brought me in. Um, brought me in, uh, put me in the team. So like I said, boy, you play football, you're happy. Um, I think we just went through a rough patch there because in January, I think there was like 12 new faces in, 12 out. So it was, it was a big turnaround and Obviously, most of the time, you will need a bit of time for your players to gel together, and that just wasn't happening. Um, things were going against us, just little decisions, whether the ref would give a penalty or just ricochets, anything like that. It was just literally all going against us at that time. And yeah, unfortunately, just before COVID, um, the owners changed the management. Yeah, because Neil Critchley yeah, came in after that. Yeah, obviously, oh. a very, very different style of football as well. Um, yeah, coming from the under 23s and stuff like that, but I don't think you would have had a great deal of time under him because of COVID. Would I be right in saying that? I think it was literally one one game, 10 days, something yeah. like that. Like, so it was literally high and by. Because like, I think we quick. went to play you on the Saturday, and that was the first game that got, yeah, that's actually correct. Something we meant to do on the 15th, yeah, 100% correct. God, it feels like 10 years ago now, Craigie. Um, that's yeah, it really does. There's a player that you would have played with in training every day and probably came up against quite a lot that's currently gone to Hearts that 
I've really liked every time I've seen him. Seemed like a big, strong, athletic lad. But how good was Armand Nandjele? I had big Armand. I was handful. We had some good battles in training, me and him, good wrestling matches. So he's huge. Yeah, he's a big guy. Isn't he? But nice. Yeah. I think did he get fifteen goals that second year um, yeah. with Feeney, who was literally putting the ball in his his head every single time. So that, that part this year. Yeah, the partnership worked well for them. And yeah, he's a good lad, Armand. So um, I'm sure he will do well for Hearts. I was going to say, do you expect him to do quite well for Hearts? Because obviously he's gone to the championship and he's, I think, had a great debut, but he's had sporadic games off. But I've got a few Hearts fans and I've said, look, I've seen him. He's a, he's ideal for Scottish Premiership if you go up. He scored and assisted on the weekend, if I'm right. So, you might be right. I'll trust you a better judgment than me. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that old plaster all over social media. So. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll do really well for him. Um, like I say, he's just definitely, he's a handful and he'll get the ball down and when you've got him running at you and jumping all over you, it's, it's going to be a tough ask. Yeah, I think it was a player that I would have quite liked to see in a, a Sunderland, truth be told. We're talking about moves to Sunderland, I have to ask, because um, I remember the rumours that circled around you when Jack Ross was here. Um, it's been rumoured a few times that Sunderland were close to signing you, or at least interested. Specifically, I remember when Jack Ross was here. Have you ever came close to signing for Sunderland? Yeah, and it will have been this window, well, in the summer, basically. Um, like I said before, I was a free agent for a while and um, on the Parkinson. Basically, I got the call to get up there and get a medical done. And then phone call come about half an hour later. I think the chairman was saying, listen, with the wage cap um, that was coming into place and stuff, we said, we'll, we'll wait till Monday and wait until um, everything's settled, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, Monday didn't come, <laughs> um, which is frustrating in a fact, because at the time I just wanted to get and go play football without missing it for that long. But hey, things, some things come off, some things don't, and things happen for reasons and that. So, yeah, I'm at Wimbledon now and I'm, I'm happy here. So, I'm playing games and happy and that's all you want. Yeah, that's all you ever want as a footballer just to play football. How's it been being back at um, Plough Lane? Obviously, being back at no fans, I know, but the spiritual home. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, obviously, we've got new ground and stuff, pitch is class. Um, next step is getting them fans in because I, I, I want to experience that. It's been a full season without fans, you know. I think we had, yeah, full season. So, Everyone just wants the fans back in there. I've been speaking to like other people at the club and that, and estimating what how many we'll get really. Just and I think we've got a very good chance of selling that out. Which that's, that's all you want. You just want that support. People back in you and making the fortress. Yeah, and I think you'll get that as well with Wimbledon being back at the ground. Cause I think everyone's so excited we're getting back and. Obviously, they're getting back to a brand new ground. They've got like Wimbledon back because, as much as it's a Phoenix club, it's still Wimbledon. Wimbledon's the, yeah, not the other one. Um, it's Wimbledon, in my opinion. Um, talking of like relationships you can have with fans, though, you tend to build a relationship when you're on the pitch and you have other fans reacting well to me, they cheering what I'm doing. Do they seem to like when I get the ball? When there's no fans there, it's probably quite hard to build that. How can you build a relationship with fans? Because I imagine as a professional footballer, you don't like going online too much. I know I wouldn't. So um, how do you build that relationship? It's tough, really, if I'm honest. Um, like I say, going online, uh, when you've had bad results and stuff, you'll get the abuse. <laughs> but I think that's... As any footballer, you just take it on the chin. Um, it happens like... 
the older you get, it doesn't affect you. Like, what could I expect? Yeah, and that's what I suppose that's what the voice we, we give to the youngins. Like, if, if it hasn't gone well on the weekend, don't go searching for it. As you might see stuff you don't like, and everyone, I suppose everyone's different how they react to it. But most of the times, especially obviously the young fans and that, they're on your side. Like, they just want the team to do well. And if you work hard and give it your all and play for that badge on the front, they'll give you the credit and that. So that's just what you got to do. Yeah, pretty much. So final question then. Obviously, I imagine your immediate future is looking at, at Wimbledon, but you're 27. You're basically coming up to the, the prime of your career. What would you like your future to look like or do you not look that far ahead? Um, as, as I suppose most players have said to you, you've asked that question, uh, you just want to play as high as you can. Yeah. Uh, so I will work as hard as I can to push up the ladder, if you like. Um no matter what club I play for, I'm always committed to it and I work hard. I think you can speak to most well, everyone I've worked under. Um, they'll tell you my attitudes there and um, my determination, my work ethic. So just got to continue that and see where the journey takes me. Yeah, perfect. Ben, thanks very much for joining me. Um, always oh, good to chat on. I'm just pleased to clear up the mystery of whether you were actually linked to something was just a paper talk or whether you actually were linked to us. So thanks for clearing that one up for me, mate. I appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. Good luck for the rest of the season. Well, yes, I yes. Um, and as always, obviously, I know um, Ivor, who's the director there, one of the best people in the world that I've ever met. Um, oh, brilliant bloke. So I'll always want AFC Wimbledon to do well when they're not playing my own club. So genuinely, best of luck for the rest of the season, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure.